Hey, um, welcome everybody. I'm glad you're here. My name's Brad. If you're here for the first time, if you got a Bible, I hope you do. Open it to Romans chapter 6. That's going to be our um, launching point today. And as you're doing that, let me just add my congratulations to uh, Reynolds for Ben making it through Ranger School. And a little bit more of the rest of the story. Ben is being stationed at Fort Carson uh, Colorado, which is where the 4th Infantry Division is, and that's one of our main, most important infantry divisions in, in the country, in, in our army. And um, Ben's wife, Ben graduated from West Point last spring, and Ben's wife is also a West Point graduate, and she is currently serving with her unit in Iraq. So while Ben was going through Ranger School, his wife is in Iraq. He's going to Carson in Colorado, and he's probably going to go to Iraq or Afghanistan shortly. And uh, I'm just blown blown away by, by uh, these sharp young guys and young ladies who serve our country. So we salute you, Ben. I know what it's like. I remember my parents picked me up from Ranger School graduation and were taking me to lunch at Jennifer's house, who she was soon to be my fiance, and her parents live off of the Williams Road exit. So you can picture from Fort Benning to exit 12, that's 12 miles. I asked my dad to pull over at the Macon Road exit, and I bought a pack of 10 Kit Kats, all of them, the whole pack. And all I can tell you is that none of them made it to exit 12. <laughs> so, um, so Ben is hungry. If he gets up and he eats some donuts in the middle of the service, you understand why. Um, hey, let me do something before we get going on this. I just um, want to mention something that I think kind of needs a little bit of our attention. Not necessarily today, because as you can see, it's the first um, Sunday of spring break, and so we got a lot of folks out, and obviously with a lot of those folks, a lot of our children out, um, but... And we are getting to the point where we we need some help and we need a little bit of attention um, and some recruitment with our help in our nursery area. Um, we have a strange dynamic here at Crosspoint, and it's a great dynamic, but the dynamic is, is that we have a large percentage of our families are couples that have multiple elementary age or below children. And we'll have families that have three or four, and I'm, I'm um, setting the standard for this. I have four children myself. Um, and what happens is, is we have um, some parents with kids that are in the baby nursery, and then they have another child in the toddler nursery, and then they maybe have another child in preschool or elementary. And um, our, all of our children's ministry is staffed on a weekly basis by people in the church, volunteers. And so and we really don't want to ask parents or anybody for that matter, to serve more than one Sunday a month in some area with their child. And if a parent has a baby and then a preschool kid and an elementary age kid, we just kind of ask them to pick one place. But the deal is we have a lot of parents with multiple kids, and so um, we're a little bit taxed in that area. And our desire is is that um, a parent or a volunteer, whoever, not just parents, would, would maybe just serve once every two months or so. We think that's reasonable. And, um, and, and we need some more folks to kind of to, to be involved in that. We kind of look every now and again at who has children, who's a regular attender. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of folks that aren't really serving. But if you are a, a regular attender, you consider Crosspoint home. We want you to consider maybe doing your part and serving, even if you don't have children. Um, if you're a young guy, man, that's a great way to learn some skills. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Because if you know how to take care of kids, when you're courting that young lady in a couple years, I'm telling you, brother, that is, that's an ace in the hole that you can play, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just helping you out right now. And if, you, um, if you're maybe older and your kids are grown and, um, and you would be willing to volunteer in that area to kind of ease the burden a little bit, that would really, really bless the church at whole. And what it would do is it would lessen the frequency that some of our folks that have been doing it for three or four years faithfully have to do it. So um, you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. We're going to kind of mention that, obviously, on a regular Sunday when, when we kind of have a full house. But um, help us out in that area. And thanks for your cooperation. Well, li- listen, let's get into it. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to launch from. And we ended our series on the church last Sunday. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you missed any of those, I think that was an important series for us. And so 
If you missed any of those, I would encourage you to go back to our website. It's a revamped website. We've got everything up. You can just play the audio from the website or download it. And also, all the notes are up there. We want you to be able to, to print the notes out. You can print them out and, um, and, and, and study those or go back over those. And today, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture. And so, instead of maybe um, thinking and let you got to take all the notes, by tomorrow afternoon, all of this will be up on the website. And so, um, what I would recommend that you do is maybe anchor yourself in Romans 6, and then as we throw out some questions and some answers to it, you can um, kind of release yourself from the pressure to take the notes and go back and, uh, and get that on the internet this week. But um, here's where, where we're going with today. Today's kind of a standalone message, and we're calling it the Gospel and Baptism, because next Sunday is obviously Easter. I want to encourage you to bring folks that may not yet be followers of Christ Easter is a time when people generally will come to church, if maybe their only Sunday of the year, and that might be a time that the Lord might open their heart to the gospel. So um, bring folks. We, we intentionally gear our worship services so that they're serious, that we talk about Jesus, but we don't do things that hopefully distract or repel people who aren't yet unbelievers. And so I think this is a good place to bring a person who's a seeker. So that's next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, April 19th, we're going to celebrate our fourth anniversary as a church with a water baptism service. And that is a huge deal for us, and it's a huge deal in the Christian faith. And so today I am going to teach on what water baptism is. And I think I'm speaking to probably three groups of people. I'm speaking to Christians in this room who have already been water baptized, and you maybe, you know, if you're next to somebody, a girl maybe that you brought, you're trying to impress, you're like, I know all of this baby, he can't tell me anything. Uh, well, easy killer, first of all. Second of all, I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian who's already been baptized, I want to I want to remind you of the beauty and the power and the symbol of this really peculiar thing that we do when we dunk each other in the water. <laughs> I mean, let's admit some of the things we do. I mean, today's Communion Sunday. We're going to talk about dunking one another in water. And then we're going to come and we're going to get little chips of bread and little glasses of juice and we're going to drink it. I mean, it's, it's peculiar, the things that we do. But, but there's beautiful symbolism. We're going to talk about all that. So if you're a Christian, you've been baptized, I want to remind you of the unbelievable beauty and significance of water baptism. Secondly, you may be a Christian in here today and you have not been water baptized yet. And I, and I hope to convince you and persuade you that, that you need to be water baptized as a matter of obedience to Jesus and as a matter of proclamation of the gospel. And I think the third group of person, people that I might be speaking to is people that are not yet followers of Christ. You may think that you are, but maybe through today's words and the scriptures that we read, it might, be, it might become evident to you that you are not. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will, will uh, regenerate your heart and make you a new creation. So let's go. Um, keep a thumb in Matthew, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. But before we do that, you don't need to flip there. Let me just give you a setup. What we're going to do today is we are going to ask and answer four questions about water baptism. In fact, we can throw them all up there now just to let you know kind of where we're going. Four questions about water baptism, and they are, first, what is the meaning of baptism? Why should Christians be baptized? How should we be baptized? And finally, who should be baptized? But before we get into Romans chapter 6, let me just give you a little bit of setup. First of all, Jesus himself was water baptized. You uh, are probably familiar with his cousin, John the Baptist. And, and I'm going to slow down here. He got that name because, not because of his denominational affiliation, <laughs> but because he was John the Baptizer. All right? He was the one who was baptizing people in water preparing the way for Jesus and in Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 to 17 it says this it says then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by him meaning John John would have prevented him saying I need you to I need to be baptized by you and you and do you come to me but Jesus answered him let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness and the point is is that Obviously, John is baptizing people, and they would call it then a baptism of repentance of sins, which we'll talk about. 
But obviously Jesus didn't need to repent of any sin because he's perfect. But he's, as an example, being water baptized for us and for the generations to come so that we would walk in his example. And it says, then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So we see there clearly in the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus himself is baptized and Jesus continues to minister for three years and at the end of the Gospels at the end of Matthew 28 we have this very significant passage of scripture that we call as Christians the Great Commission where Jesus is giving final instructions and this is I mean Jesus has spent three years he's He's levitating, you know, like ready to ascend into heaven. And there's a couple things that he's, he's telling his disciples to do right before he ascends. I mean, have you ever left for vacation or, or like gone out with your spouse on a Friday night and you're, you're telling the babysitter, you're not telling her at that moment like, oh yeah, and um, you know, uh, there's some dry cleaning in the car. I mean, you're telling her important stuff. You're not telling her, you know, heat up the spaghetti 45 seconds. You're saying, you're saying, if you need me, these, this is my contact. I mean, it's important stuff. It's not just happenstance. I mean, so just think about his, the last thing that Jesus says before he ascends includes these amazing instructions about water baptism. I think that's significant. He doesn't say, sing these songs Worship this way. He, he, he cuts to the heart of Christian faith with baptism. And he says in Matthew 28, verse, let's go to verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, dunking them in water. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we go. Let's continue. Um, go to, well, don't necessarily flip there, but Acts chapter 2. We see a picture of the early church, and it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And we see there the birth of the New Testament church after the day of Pentecost, during the day of Pentecost. And Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 or verse 36. It says, let all the house of Israel, this is Peter speaking, therefore know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And then this is Peter's response. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'm setting up for you as we get into Romans 6. Jesus was baptized. Jesus specifically right before he ascends into heaven makes this so important that he tells his disciples to teach people, evangelize the world, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what starts to happen as the church is born in Acts chapter 2 all the way up until this moment. So, baptism is incredibly, incredibly important. So let's go to Romans chapter 6. I wish that there was a scripture in the Bible that would tell us everything that we want to say about baptism, but it's um, there's not really a scripture like that. So we kind of have to piece together um, some places in the New Testament, and we'll do that. But Romans chapter 6 is um, one of the primary texts about water baptism. And so with that as our background, we're going to seek to answer this question, what does baptism mean? I mean, think about this. In a couple weeks, and many of you have been water baptized here at Cross Point or other places, we're going we're gonna to dunk you down in some water and you're going to come up out of that and a whole bunch of people are going to go crazy. And like, yeah, I mean, step back. If you were like, if you, we just beamed you in from some country that had no idea about Christianity or the gospel, that would be strange. <laughs> I mean, let's admit it. That's admit it, but it's beautiful and we're going to talk about why it's strange. So what, what is the meaning of baptism? Okay, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And he's not advocating their perfectionism, meaning that once you become a Christian, you're 
all of a sudden just going to be perfect. What he's saying is, is that if you're a Christian and you know that Christ has saved you, if then you let the grace and security that God has worked in your heart become a license for you to do whatever you want to do, then you probably are giving indication that you don't really know who Christ is and that he probably hasn't really saved you yet. So he's saying this grace that we have empowers us to pursue him. It doesn't allow us to be lazy. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, water baptized, into his, baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What a peculiar phrase. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like us, there's that word again, death. And if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what he's saying here is, is that this, this gospel, this good news of Christ comes to rescue you from death and from sin. And this thing that you have been baptized into, symbolized by water baptism, is a symbol of that. And now you are no longer enslaved by sin. Now let me stop here, because you can read language like this in the Bible, and if you're not connected to understanding you don't we don't do a little explanation of that it can bring some despair because some of us can be like oh that's great Brad but I'm still kind of hung up with some habitual sin in my life does that mean that I'm not a Christian no it doesn't you need to think along these terms that when Christ comes and by his work on the cross he rescues us from death and sin Think of it. Think of the sin in the life of a Christian in three ways. First of all, is that Jesus comes and by His work on the cross, He rescues us from the penalty of sin. The Scriptures clearly say many times in the New Testament that Jesus has canceled the penalty. In Colossians 2, a verse that we'll read in a little bit, says that the penalty, which is death, that comes with sin, Jesus has canceled that, and in fact, He takes that penalty upon himself he is our substitute for our sin and so the penalty of sin is erased for a person who believes in Christ and the power of sin is diminished in this lifetime that doesn't mean that sin is not very powerful and that you won't be tempted after you become a Christian but Christ gives us his indwelling presence his spirit to help us fight sin and live a progressively more and more holy life and the power of sin has been broken all Although not completely removed in this lifetime, the power of sin is diminished so that we can actually live for him. And then the presence of sin is something that we still have to deal with here on this earth until we die or until Jesus comes back. And so we're no longer enslaved to sin in that sense that the penalty of sin no longer has any hold on us. The power of sin still kind of is grabbing our, our ankles and the presence of sin will still be with us until we meet Christ. And so um, he says that we're no longer enslaved to that. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we who died with Christ, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. A couple things about the meaning of baptism. Two things in particular. Number one is that baptism is most clearly and specifically a vivid illustration of the gospel, the way that we are saved. It's not just kind of a Christian tradition or deal that we do. When you become a Christian, something has happened. You are in that moment confessing and believing that Jesus has died 
as a sacrifice for your sins. And not only has he died, but you are, through repentance, making a decision to die to your old ways of self-reliance or sin or trust in whatever and are now trusting in him. So there is a death process that has to happen in us and a life that he imparts in us that now we are able to trust in him. And that's pictured in the drowning. I know it sounds, sounds kind of harsh, but the drowning symbolism of water baptism. I don't know if you've ever been out at sea or just had for a moment a period in time where maybe you were out in a lake or in the ocean and you felt like there might be a possibility that you would drown. But that is that is a horrifying experience. I mean, to, to be in a body of water and think that you might not be able to get out is, is a terrible, terrible feeling. But I remember just a... Last summer, I think, my in-laws got a pool, and of course, we're, we're, we're piggybacking on that bad boy. We're like over there all the time. Um, we're, we're knocking on the door. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. You know, they're barely getting up on somewhere. Like, we're ready. You know, open up the pool. But I remember one time my little daughter, Bella, was jumping off the side, and she obviously is three years old at the time, can't swim on her own. But some, one time she jumped, and I kind of lost grip of her for just a second I mean it was a fraction of a second but we're underwater and I can just see her realizing that she has no lifeline just the, the just even in a split second the utter like panic and fear coming over her and just a couple weeks ago we read in the paper and saw in the news about those three football players that were lost at sea and very tragically I think two or three of them drowned and one of them clung to the boat and he was rescued, and, and that's, I know it's a vivid and difficult illustration to think about, but that's what's happening, that's what's being symbolized in baptism, is, is that we are, we're drowning, we have died, we've died to our old self, and there's, there's a lot of symbolism in the scriptures about that, 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 and we don't think about this because it's so unpleasant, and because our American church culture has presented sort of a self-help Christianity, that it's like, we don't think about judgment, we don't think about what would happen to us if we don't accept Christ as our Savior and, and turn to Him in, in faith and trust. We just tend to think of Jesus as the Western cultural add-on to help us be better people. We do not consider the fact that without Christ, the judgment waters of God would overtake us and drown us. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20, 21, and 22, it says that bapt- it speaks about Noah and the flood, and it says that baptism corresponds with that Old Testament story of God judging the world with the baptismal waters of all time of the flood and drowning people because of their wickedness and sin. And so baptism is not primarily just something that we do to kind of, oh, well, that's cool. This is strangely what Jesus did and what Peter and the apostles did. And now I guess we should do it. And let's get down on the water and just kind of, okay. But I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should hold each other down just a little bit to, to fit. No, no, we're not going to do that. I, mean, I don't want to just totally dissuade you from, but do you, do you see what's being symbolized there that, that we are being rescued. And what are we being rescued from? We are being rescued from this sin that we read about in Romans 6. And this is, this is such a wildly unpopular theme in American Christianity today that I venture to say that many of you probably have never considered it, but the problem with it is that it's in the Bible. And so we gotta, we gotta, we gotta read it. We are not only saved from sin and Satan and death, we are saved from God's judgment against our sin and rebellion. Listen to this verse. Just one chapter over from where we are in Romans 6, Romans 5 verse 9. It says, Romans 5 verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, in other words, saved, we become a Christian, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. That's 
Ooh, that, that's hard. That's hard. To think of God in that way that He is so just and that He takes salvation and sins so seriously that, that what's being pictured, do you see the picture of the New Testament that what baptism is symbolizing is our salvation from ourselves, from sin, from death, and from God Himself. That He, like He rescued Noah, would rescue us from the judgment that wipes out all rebellion. And so when you go down into the waters, if you have been baptized or if you will be baptized, you must know that God is rescuing you from sin, from judgment, from wrath, and that we must die to ourselves. The greatest plague in American Christianity today is that it's life 2.0. It's Jesus. It's life plus Jesus. You cannot appreciate. I'm not saying you can't become a Christian without this, but I don't think you can appreciate and truly understand your salvation until you realize that you must die to yourself and sin and baptism symbolizes that. C.S. Lewis, the great British philosopher and Christian who wrote Mere Christianity and The Chronicles of Narnia said 60 years ago in the 1940s that the problem with Western culture and Western Christianity is is that you need to preach the disease before you can preach the cure of Christianity because we do not understand the disease because our life is so good because we have air conditioning and checking accounts and cars and stuff. But first and foremost, baptism symbolizes that, that death. But it doesn't stop there. See, we come up out of the waters and we experience the newness of life. And so water baptism is symbolizing what happens when you become a Christian, that you go down in death to your old self and to your old way, and that you don't stay there, but you come up out of the water, as we read in Romans 6, in the resurrection and in the newness of life like Christ. Isn't that amazing? We're not just getting wet. It's not just a wash. Like, you know, just take him through the car wash. Put a couple cords in the goo-goo and go. All right, now, now he's a legit Christian. No! It is symbolizing what happens. And, and here's the deal. You may be a Christian in here, but you may not realize that that's what happened in you when you placed your faith in Christ. That this, this amazing, amazing grace was, was poured out on you so that you would die to yourself and be enabled to rise in newness of life and live for God for all eternity. That's amazing. So first and foremost, the gospel symbolizes our salvation. Secondly, it symbolizes, it does symbolize to some degree the washing away of our sins, although we know that the actual act of water baptism doesn't actually literally wash away your sins. The Apostle Paul, writing at the end of, uh, Luke is writing about the Apostle Paul at the end of the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Paul is giving his testimony again, and he says about Ananias, the man who kind of early on discipled him, he, this man said to Paul, repent and be baptized and wash away your sins. And so we know that this is just a symbolic gesture of the, the, the Holy Spirit has washed us of our sins. It reminds me... Um, and this is not a one-time event, all right? This is, it's not like you go down in the baptismal pools and you come up and you're like, clean! <laughs> I got it, all right, another 45 years. I guess it's going to be tough living perfectly here on this earth, but I've been baptized clean. No, it's not like that. We know that sanctification and holiness is progressive. It's a daily battle, and sometimes we go backwards. My, it reminds me of my seven-year-old son. In all seriousness, this kid comes up with the craziest stuff, and he was, he was dead on serious. And his mom was getting on him about, about his um, hygiene. You know when boys hit that little period where you begin to smell them? It's not like cute boy smell anymore. It's like pre-puberty stank, you know? And he's starting to get a little bit of that. Hates to take showers. This kid hates to bathe. And he comes up to me in all seriousness and he's, he's like, Dad, what's up, Jake? He goes, so mom says I've got to take a shower tonight. I'm like... All right, man, let's go. Rub-a-dub-dub. You know, use soap. And in all seriousness, he looks at me and he goes, Dad, if I take two showers in a row, can I not have to take another shower for like two days? (laughs) And I'm like, no, dude, that's that's not the way it works. (laughs) You, You have to... 
take a shower like every day. And, and he realized, you know, let's just stockpile these bad boys and I'll be good for a week. <laughs> Baptism symbolizes our washing, our sanctification, our cleansing. It symbolizes our salvation, our death to ourselves and to our sin. And then that God resurrected. Jesus did not come to improve you. He came to rescue you and me from death. We weren't alive and not doing so well, and then Jesus helped us. We were dead, spiritually. Alive, physically, but dead, spiritually. Read Colossians 2. Read Ephesians 2. It says we were dead, and Christ made us alive. And so we, we, we symbolize our death and then our resurrection through baptism. Why should Christians be baptized? Second question, we'll move rather quickly through the next three. Why should Christians be baptized? Well, first of all, to obey Jesus' command. (laughs) Ben, a young lieutenant in the army, one of the newest rangers in our army, is going to take over a platoon of men here in weeks, and there's this old saying in the army, you know, if the... If the officer, the platoon sergeant, he says, jump, you say how high. I mean, (laughs) you know, Jesus said to do it. If Jesus said, walk on your hands and paint yourself with purple polka dots, well, you know, as Christians who obey the Lord Master, we should do it. Now, thankfully, he doesn't ask us to do those things. And he also does not leave us to just obey based on that. He tells us why and creates this beautiful picture. But first and foremost, Christians should be baptized because Jesus said to do it. And so I just, I want to very specifically say that if you're a Christian here today and you have not been water baptized, whether it is through ignorance or whether it is through pride or whether it is through whatever, just embarrassment because you've been a Christian so long and now you think, oh, well, if I get water baptized, people might think, and so there's a real lack of humility being displayed by you. They're just, you're disobeying Jesus. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, and I'm not saying he's going to, you know, voodoo doll you. I don't believe in karma or all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying you're disobeying Jesus if you're not water baptized. That's the first thing. Secondly, to follow Jesus' example, to be like Christ. We saw, we read Matthew 3 where he was baptized. And then thirdly, I think this is maybe the heart of it to some degree, why Christians should be baptized, to identify with the body of Christ. So go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read this for you. Ephesians chapter 4. The first couple of verses there. He says, this is the Apostle Paul writing, We got it up on the screen. Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen to this, verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit, Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What Paul is saying there is that there's just one salvation, there's one way to God, there's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's one body of Christ, not a bunch of splintered ones, but one, certainly we meet and do it a little bit differently, but we are all part of this big C, universal church of Christ, and there is one baptism, and when we are baptized, we are identifying with Jesus and His body. It is... It is the principal way that Christians in the New Testament, and it's been much lessened as we have moved away from biblical times, but it was the principal way that Christians in a hostile Roman environment signified their identification with this movement called Christianity. They proved their allegiance through the perilous act of water baptism, the very public display of their affection and uniting with and trust in and, and, and relationship to the body of Christ. And here, because we, you know, we don't suffer any persecution, we're like, ah, oh, yeah, it's optional, I don't know. I don't want to get my hair wet. That, look, if you're not... If you're not water baptized, on some level you're saying, I'm not, I don't really want to be united with these people. There's a humility that comes in it that unites us together. 
as Christians is very important. And, and then finally, why should Christians be water baptized? And I think this is an incredibly powerful and important deal is, is to, to proclaim the gospel. There's nothing that you will do in your life that will more prominently and decisively and specifically and loudly proclaim the gospel that what has happened to you is that you have died and that he has resurrected you and you are saying that you are proclaiming that without having to come up with a sermon and without having to study a whole bunch of commentaries you yourself as a Christian are through your action and submission and humility are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is primarily what baptism signifies I can't imagine being a Christian and not wanting to do that it's it's our greatest privilege and you don't have to know how to speak you don't have to have any other gift other than hold your breath for half a second and you proclaim the gospel alright so let me make a clarification here because I don't want anybody to misunderstand this I'm putting a lot of emphasis on baptism You may be asking, well, is baptism necessary for salvation? And the answer to that question is categorically no. We see several spiritual uh, scriptural examples. First of all, the thief on the cross. You're probably familiar with that story at the end of the Gospel of Luke. On the cross, as he's being crucified with Jesus, he confesses Christ as his Lord. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise, signifying that that man received eternal life. And obviously, he was not water baptized. And so, water baptism is not a requirement for salvation. But I also need to tell you this, is that the New Testament has no category. It's, it's the idea of a Christian who has come to faith in Christ and then is not water baptized, whether it be through ignorance or whether it be through just straight up rebellion. There is no category for that in the New Testament. No category for it. But we have so soft-souled in American church culture today that, well, once you've been here long enough, ah, well, Jim Bob, you're, you've been around. Nobody's going to ask you about it anymore uh, because now, God forbid, that you just, you just have to go back and do this. And uh, No, it's not a requirement for salvation, but the New Testament has no category for a person who does not obey Christ in this way. And so if you have not been water baptized, you need to be water baptized now these next two questions I want to move through quickly and let me just say in all humility that um, these two questions are open handed issues for me there are Christians who love Jesus very very much who disagree on this and who believe in the same gospel we do but who would probably come down on different sides of the aisle on this and that's okay Um, this is an open handed issue for me and by that I mean that we can agree to disagree Um, and still be members of the same faith family and still love the same Jesus. But the question is, how should we be baptized? Well, the simple answer, as I see it according to the scriptures, is is that the most biblical mode is full immersion. In fact, that word, baptize, in the Greek, baptizo, means to dunk or to emerge or to fully go under the water. Now, if you came from a Protestant strain of the church or faith where you were sprinkled, and it was a meaningful deal for you, then do you have to be re-baptized? No. Uh, but if you get water baptized at Cross Point, you're going under, brother. <laughs> you're going under. You're getting dunked. Jesus was fully immersed. The, the pattern of the New Testament church was to fully immerse. Certainly there's, there's exceptions. I can imagine somebody being old and in a convalescent home and then coming to faith in Christ, are we going to ask that person to get out of their, their illness in bed to go, no, we, we could sprinkle and it would be val- valid in that situation. But when it is, you are able, which is a vast majority of the time, we believe in full immersion. That's our stance here. It was a pattern of Jesus. It was a pattern of the church leaders. And by, by, I think more, more importantly, it clearly represents what happens in the gospel, not just a part of us, and I'm not saying that faith, uh, uh, that uh, part of the Protestant church that sprinkles don't believe that you're fully saved. I'm just saying I think immersion more fully represents what's going on in the gospel. And so that's what we do here. And then the final question, who should be baptized and when? Now, this is a, a, a debate in Christianity. Um, I want to be very generous to some folks in here that I know come from traditions where they baptize infants. 
in fact, I grew up in a Presbyterian tradition where I was baptized as an infant and then came to faith in the Lord when I was 18 years old and was re-baptized by full immersion. And there are some arguments that I can understand where the folks that are of those Christian traditions that baptize infants make. And primarily, let me just skim over it just so you know why we do what we do. And if you're one of those folks that wants to... Um, Really talk to me about this further. We can we can shuck it down with our Bibles um, at a later date. But but folks that baptize infants primarily see, and there is uh, certainly um, this is in the scriptures that there is a relationship between circumcision in the Old Testament, which they would do as a sign of God's people, and they would obviously circumcise infants on the eighth day, and then baptism in the New Testament, and that circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign or a seal of this covenant community, which we, of course, would hold to and believe that we are a covenant community, and then correspondingly, baptism, water baptism, is a parallel of circumcision in the Old Testament. And since they circumcised infants in the Old Testament, that we should also, as our sign and seal, now water baptize infants as well. And I want to say that certainly there is a parallel between circumcision... I'm losing some of you right now. You're like, what circumcision, dude? What's going on? Just hang with me. Certainly there is a parallel between circumcision in the Old Testament and water baptism in the New Testament, but it's not a direct one-to-one comparison. There's not a direct one-to-one comparison. Let me just read briefly a scripture, Colossians chapter 2, that I think speaks to this. And in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this in verse 11. He says, In him... Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So he's talking about a New Testament circumcision, which we read about at the end of Romans chapter 2 that says, Now the circumcision of the Spirit is not the cutting away of flesh on an infant, but is the circumcision of the heart, that the believer, the person who understands their sin, the, the older child or adult that makes a decision to turn to Christ, that circumcision of the heart, he says, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And I think what Paul is saying here, amongst many other things, is he's saying that that Old Testament seal of the covenant community was was certainly a powerful picture of what God was doing in forming the nation of Israel, but it's not a direct comparison to now this circumcision of the heart and salvation for those who would believe as individuals, not just be born into it, and that the circumcision of the Old Testament is, is like, but not exactly like the circumcision of the New Testament, which is of the heart, that you have to be old enough to understand and believe and know, and that's what I think water baptism corresponds to okay enough circumcision talk my point in saying is this is that here at cross point we believe in what is called believers baptism where we baptize those who are old enough to trust in christ and given our uh, a reasonable um, response of the gospel's work in their life and that's not to um that's not to say that um, some of our brothers and sisters that come from other traditions in the christian community um, that's not a significant thing for them. It's just not what we believe. It's an open-handed issue. And we certainly think there's great power and symbolism in, in dedicating babies, which we did last week. And so there's our four questions. And I end with this. Number one, what, what is the meaning of baptism? It's a powerful symbol of the gospel. And it's a powerful symbol of just the power of what God is doing in our lives, more than just adding, just making us more successful people, but He's rescuing us. Why should we be baptized? Well, because Christ told us to, because that's the pattern of the church, and because we proclaim the gospel, we do it, and we unite with Christ when we do it. Then how should we be baptized? I think we should be fully immersed, and who should be baptized? I think that people that are old enough, and when is that? Is it what age can a person be baptized? I think certainly children can be baptized if they're old enough to understand and give a profession of faith. And we leave that up to the parents. We interact with parents. 
that mom and dad, that's up to you. And also, who should do the baptizing? We didn't put this up there, but um, look, I am not the priest that does all the priestly functions here. We believe that all believers can baptize, and we also put much emphasis on the authority of fathers or spiritual leaders of homes, if that's a mother, that they do the baptizing for their children. We don't require that, but dads, if you're the spiritual leader of your home, we would love for you to baptize your wife and children if they're not baptized. Uh, Mom, if you're in a situation where your husband is either not there or not the spiritual leader of your home, and you are, then we would love for you to baptize your child. It's not a requirement. We'll do water baptisms, but in a couple weeks we're going to do it. And I want to urge you, if you have not been water baptized, to do so. And I want us to, as a church, understand the unbelievable power and magnitude of what water baptism signifies. That we're not just gathering here together to talk about self-improvement, but we're celebrating the rich and deep and beautiful and awe-inspiring work of Christ on the cross and what he did in rescuing us from death and judgment and sin and ushering us into the newness of life. So if you've been water baptized... Would you realize and would you celebrate with those that will be water baptized in a couple weeks? And would you thank God for the display of his gospel? If you're a Christian and you have not been water baptized, in the past I would use language like, would you consider? And I realize that now I need to repent of that language. I need to say things like, I I implore you. I implore you for whatever reason, whether it be ignorance because you haven't been taught well in this issue, well, hopefully that is no longer the case after today. Or whether it be through, through a lack of humility because you just, it was too long and you, now you don't want to go back and act like you're a, a, you know, an early Christian or whatever. Or, or, I mean, it, you don't want to get your hair wet or you just don't want that hum, humbling moment. Look, that's the heart of coming to faith in Christ, that humility. And I implore you, I exhort you, I admonish you to preach the gospel. I admonish you to bring friends to come to your water baptism. I admonish you to bring family members that need to hear about Christ. I admonish you to tell people about it. I admonish you to very much consider the fact that you need to be water baptized, not to be saved, but to obey Christ and to personally preach the gospel. And if you have realized that you're maybe not a believer here today, I want you to consider what we are saying and the seriousness and the gravity of what Christ has done. And I want you to realize that you, you need to repent of your sin and you need to believe in Christ and you need to confess Him as Lord and you need to believe. You, need to, you don't need to say some little prayer that's got all the words right. You don't need to join the church. You don't need to go through a 12-step program. You don't... Right now, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is hitting your heart, and you need to respond by believing in Christ and turning from your sin and, and walking in the newness of life. Right now, you may have come into this room spiritually dead, but you are now being made alive by the Spirit of God. And what's your response? Well, when babies are born and when they come out of their mother's womb, they, they breathe. And right now, that may be happening to you. Right now, you need to believe. You need to trust. You need to trust in Christ and turn from sin and the scriptures clearly say that when you do that you become a new creation and if that's happening to you right now I would love to talk to you afterwards and and I want you just right now to trust in Christ and say Christ come now fill my heart with forgiveness and life and I see that happening to me I'm going down I'm coming up and I I am becoming right now a Christian and that, that may be you And if that's you today, I would love to talk to you. And also, I would love for you to be water baptized in a couple weeks because you need to do it. Guys, come on back. Let's pray. Lord, um, in just a moment, we're going to receive communion, which is, along with water baptism, the thing that you told us to do as a church, as a New Testament church. Water baptism in many ways signifies and symbolizes our entrance into the kingdom and this moment when we are initially united with 
Christ ahead of the church and with his body. And so, Lord, as we have studied this, if we have read these scriptures, if we have talked about this incredibly beautiful symbol of water baptism, I pray, God, that through this this moment there's been more teaching rather than preaching. I pray that if there's somebody in here, God, that has just kind of, whether it's through ignorance or just lack of humility or just never really considered it, has bought into this kind of casual American Christianity where you just kind of have to come and do your thing and check your box and that's okay if you don't really hit all the deals. Just kind of do your thing. God, would you show them that, yeah, they may be saved, but they're just walking in sort of a a mediocre disobedience and you have called them to more. You haven't just called them to improvement. You've called them to resurrected new life and God when we realized that we were lost at sea on the bottom of the ocean that you rescued us God that does something in our soul but we don't like to consider what would have been had we not received you as our savior but God for just a moment I think it does our soul well to consider that because I wasn't just on my way to a less, better life without you. I was dead and on my way to punishment and judgment eternally. And God, that is not pleasant. But God, knowing that that's what you have rescued me out of, helps me realize the gratitude and the joy and the the beauty of my salvation. And God, I, I think there's probably some people in here who need to consider that for a moment. And so would you help us do that? And if that means that we need to obey you in baptism, God, I pray that there would be no hesitation, no no lack of humility, that there would just be an earnest obedience. Yes, I've got to do this to obey Christ and identify with his people proclaim the gospel I pray that would be the case and God if there's anybody in here that does not know you and right now they're being born again God would you would you by your Holy Spirit do what only you can do and make that which was dead come alive and Lord now as we prepare to union God I pray that as the Apostle Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians that we would not just flippantly go through this other very powerful symbol because if water baptism signifies our entrance into the community of faith this communion signifies our continuation and lifelong identification with your work on the cross and the body of Christ so God would we pause to take a moment to consider our our lives in light of your grace to examine ourselves that if we're just kind of floating along, living however we want, can we remember those words of Romans 6 where it says, wait a minute, did Christ die so that you could just kind of do whatever you want or did he die to empower you to walk in the joyful pursuit of holiness? So help us examine ourselves. If there's anything we need to repent of, if there's any person we need to ask forgiveness of, if there's any sin that we need to bring before you, God, would you bring that to our mind and would we lay it at your feet? And then if we need to obey by going to some person or doing something or making some some um, um, act of contrition or repentance, God, where we ask for forgiveness, God, would we have the obedience to walk out of this room after communion and to do that? And then, God, would we come up from this communion table with this amazing sense of your power and presence and and blessing in our lives so that we can tackle this broken world for the sake of your gospel and our joy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.